0: This is Out of Office for November 2016, Collaborative Overload.
1: Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort and
0: freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira.
1: Hi Gihan, how are you? I'm very well. How are you going, Chris? Not too bad, not too bad. I'm glad that we've, that spring has finally sprung.
0: Yes, it is good, isn't it? It's, uh, it's quite nice to get the warm weather again and, uh, had quite a lot going on in my life with my parents. They've had their 50th wedding anniversary recently and they've also moved home for the first time wow. in 40 years. Took their time. <laughs> That's right. They're closer to us now, which is very, very good. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of the end of the year where lots of things are happening. I think people are winding down, but also, but also looking ahead.
1: Yes, 2017 should be a good year. Yep, yep, I'm looking forward to it. So today we're going to talk about collaboration, and that's a topic we talk about quite often on this podcast because it's so important for out-of-office workers and for distributed teams to work effectively. But more broadly, collaboration is seen as the key to organisational success, so much so that in the past couple of decades, we've seen a 50% increase in collaboration. So normally you'd see that as a good thing, Too much of a good thing can cause problems, and today we're going to talk about overload with collaboration, and this is inspired by an article that we've both read in the Harvard Business Review, and some researchers, uh, the the researchers who authored that article, they've done uh, a lot of surveys and worked with organisations looking at how they collaborate, and they found that some workers in organisations spend around 80% of their times in meetings or on the phone or responding to emails, so they're definitely doing a huge amount of collaboration. And they also came across the phenomenon of extra milers. So this is a small number of employees who are really over-contributing in terms of collaboration. They're contributing to a lot of collaborative effort. And for them, for these extra milers, what starts out as a virtuous cycle where they're giving a lot of their time to others, collaborating and working, this becomes a bit of a vicious cycle in so much as they're rewarded, so to speak, by being involved in more projects and getting given more work to the point where they're overworked and they end up having low job satisfaction. And the other problem that extra milers represent is that they become bottlenecks. So they're doing so much work, they're involved in so many projects that people are deferring to them to make decisions and nothing gets done because they've got so much work on. And if you contrast this with the olden days, typically it was the boss who made um, who made decisions. He was the bottleneck and it was usually a guy and everyone deferred to him to get decisions made. But now with extra milers, the situation's even worse than the old days because at least the boss did make decisions, even if they were autocratic at times. Now we're facing a situation where hardly any decisions get made because it's just these few individuals who are so busy they can't do any decision making. So a collaboration is a good thing, but it can become a problem if there's too much of it. And today we're going to look at some solutions. We've grouped them into three different sections and we're going to take it in turns to talk about them.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we can talk of. Let's start off with the idea of less collaboration, because, um, as you said, Chris, like uh, more collaboration is not always good. Uh, we're very much in favour of it, but sometimes um, it's better to have less collaboration. And and there are various techniques you can do to to do reduce the amount of collaboration. And, and the, the first the first one, which may be a bit of a radical one, is to like go cold turkey. So rather than automatically assuming that you're going to collaborate when you come to anything, um, reverse the status quo. So, for example, um, if you think about meetings, there are some organizations and some teams where the the default position is, if you can't make a decision, let's call a meeting. Well, turn that around. So, cancel or um, at least reduce any unnecessary meetings. And, for example, Dropbox, the company, uh, they got rid of all their recurring meetings, all their standard meetings uh, for two weeks. And uh, then they just saw what happened and uh, they found that the world didn't collapse around them. And it got people to think about and to just assess that those meetings were really necessary and uh, after that time then they didn't mean that they never had meetings ever again it's just that they could bring back the meetings that were actually useful and um, and eliminate the, the others or at least replace them with something else if it was simply a status meeting they could replace it with well why don't why don't we just uh, circulate status reports and um, the other way of doing that if you want to go cold turkey or you want to reduce um Unnecessary collaboration is just imagine that collaboration has suddenly become very expensive, which is the way that it used to be. Uh, if you want to get a bunch of people together in the past and if they weren't in the same office, maybe you had to fly them in from around the world or around the country or you had to drive across town to meet them. And now that that isn't the case, you can easily um, create an online chat or you can create an online video conference. But what if it wasn't that it wasn't the case anymore? Um, then that would be the last resort, not the first resort so if you think about, if you put a price on every time you need to collaborate, then, then you'll ask yourself, do we still need to call that meeting? Do we still need to, do I need to send this group email if everybody receiving an email was paying a dollar for that or we were paying a dollar for it? Um, do we need to schedule that conference call or can we get it done some other way in a, in a cheaper, more affordable way while still achieving the results? So just think about uh, making collaboration rather than the first resort, make it the last resort and use that as deciding Um, just as a decision-making filter
1: on whether you're going to collaborate or not. Yeah, excellent. And the other thing that you can do, another thing that you can do is to redistribute the collaborative workload by encouraging more people to make decisions. So rather than relying on a small group of extra milers, let's say, Distribute the workload more evenly by getting more people involved in decision making. And a bit like what you were just saying, Gihan, instead of making collaboration the default, often collaboration is about making decisions. So instead of focusing on the collaboration, make the decision making part the default operation. So you could, instead of asking, oh, could we, could we, um, involve Gihan in making this, this particular decision, ask, can we make a decision now, um, an informed decision, and then not have to involve Kihan and uh, he might be that extra miler who is the bottleneck And in involving more people in decision-making processes, you need to give them the authority, you need to empower them so that they have the authority to make decisions and you need to back them up if that decision gets challenged. So it might be the case that someone says, well, Joe, why is Joe making this decision? And you say, well, whereas normally, maybe Sam is the person who makes the decision. Say, look, uh, I've given authority to Joe uh, to make these kinds of decisions. So back them up in those circumstances. And I think along with authority goes accountability, and uh, the, the best way to delegate as a leader is to
0: give people authority, but you hold on to the accountability, so you're still accountable, um, even though you're giving
1: them uh, authority. Indeed, indeed, Johan. And look, mistakes and failures are gonna happen, so avoid the temptation when things do go wrong to punish and blame. And you and I, we've just read Matthew Syed's Black Box Thinking, which is all about um, using failure as the opportunity to learn and improve. And one of the lessons from that particular book is that if you do punish and blame when failure occurs or when mistakes are made, what ends up happening is that people avoid doing tasks that they might end up making mistakes in or they cover up their mistakes, or they cast blame on others. So if you avoid punishment and blame, uh, and instead use failure as an opportunity to learn and improve, then you're going to be uh, doing a lot better. And also be aware of the bicycle shed effect, which is also known as the, the law of triviality. And this is where people uh, defer those difficult and complex issues to the experts who have uh, the knowledge needed to, to deal with those issues. And instead, they expend all of their decision-making capital on trivialities and small issues. So deal with those trivialities quickly and use all of that capital on the difficult and um and complex issues. And it's a real trap that people fall into, Chris,
0: and that, that whole bicycle shed thing is that everyone has an input, uh, everyone has a say in where the base, bicycle shed goes because there is no expertise required. So everybody jumps in and I've seen that happen over and over again mm-hmm. where the smallest decisions uh, take up the biggest amount of time because people just feel like they have an opinion and their opinion matters. Um, and actually it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just make a decision and get on with it. And, and we're talking about this decision making and that's part of, what collaboration is all about is actually making better decisions but as we say that the, the collaboration uh, collaborative overload leads to uh, people deferring decisions to the group when they should be making decisions themselves and as you said you need to give people authority but you also need to build their judgment so that they know when they should be making a decision or when they should be calling on the group and um, when they should be stuffing a discussion and going, okay, ready to make a decision. I'm going to do it when they call on the group and then decide to act against the, the group's decision. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. So that's something that happens from experience. And, uh, experience leads to judgment judgment leads to wisdom so as much as you can build their judgment and there, there are many ways you could do that uh, first of all start sharing knowledge so um, use the collaborative tools and the online resources that are available to you um, to share knowledge within the team through blogs through wikis through um, online forums and train other people to um, to do things as well so don't hoard all the knowledge yourself um, and then as i said judgment leads to wisdom so how can you generate wisdom and all of this comes back to experience so are you as a leader giving your team members opportunities to to actually experience what it's like to be above their pay grade so for example you can get them to shadow you um, or other leaders and uh, this may for people who are in office, uh, it's easy to do because you can actually get them to come along with you. They can get in the car and uh, drive along when you're going out and meeting clients. And when you've got out-of-office workers, it's not as easy, but there's still ways that you could do that. Um, find ways to give them mentors, um, or you might even be their mentor, or you could do reverse mentoring where they become mentors so they get more authority and they get to deal with people at different levels of the organization. Um, and there's so many other things you could do to build wisdom, whether that could be completely um, separate discussion. But just keep in mind that part of your job is to build wisdom and uh, well judgment first and then wisdom in your team members so that they know when to collaborate, when not to collaborate and uh, how to make the decision between them. And the other thing is just just recognize that they sometimes already have what it takes. So you don't necessarily need to uh, build them up more. All you need to do is take away some of the restrictions or maybe give them more autonomy and they already have the the judgment and the wisdom to make the right decisions. I remember reading another book, Chris, uh, Turn the Ship Around by a submarine commander, David Marquette, I think his name is. Um, and he starts off the book by talking about a situation where um, he gave an order and the crew completely obeyed that order, even though it put them in danger and the order was the wrong order. And later talking to them and he said, why do you do that? And they said, they said, well, you told us to. And that completely changed his attitude. And then he went into um, this whole idea of changing the culture so that people would question authority, would, um, would not necessarily automatically respond. But one of the things he says is that um, he's looked at the way that people made decisions and he said, he said, instead of moving the information to the people who have authority, give more authority to the people who already have the information. And that was one of the principles that he used in turning the ship around and building judgment um, in his team members.
1: Excellent. So... That's collaborating less as a way of dealing with collaboration overload. An alternative is better collaboration. So you could start by using the right collaboration tools, so that when you do collaborate, it's easier, it's more efficient, and it takes less time. So th- there are many ways, many examples of this kind of thing. I know quite often, still these days, when I'm collaborating with others on editing a document, typically, what happens is we pass that document around by sending emails with emails to each other with a document as an attachment and this creates bottlenecks because only one person at a time can make a change they have to forward those changes to everyone else for review and then someone else um, makes their changes so it 's a series of bottlenecks. When uh, we have perfectly good collaboration, collaborative editing tools like we now have Office 365 with OneDrive or we have Google Docs and Dropbox. So it's just so easy to put a copy of a document into the cloud and collaboratively edit it. And the same goes for many other collaborative operations. There are ways of improving collaboration, reducing friction by using the right tools. You can also set limits and boundaries around the time that you're going to be doing collaboration and not. So if you use something like the Pomodoro technique, this is where you work in short focus sprints. If that's something that you use in your team or your workplace, make sure that your colleagues each respect others' um, focus time, their sprint time, when they've got their heads down and working. That's a time when you don't want to be interrupted Another way of uh, dealing with that is to block out times on your calendar, which are do not disturb times. So no meetings or no phone calls during that time, so people can be focused on work, and collaboration occurs at other times.
0: And this is one area, Chris, where I reckon that leaders and managers and teams can learn a lot from their out of office workers, because out of office workers have to intentionally choose when they collaborate, and at most, uh, at many other times, um, they can they can work independently, and so they set. They set blocks of time where they work by themselves. They go off to a place, an environment where they can work independently and productively. Um, So for them, collaboration is not the default. And I think there's a lot that that leaders, managers and other team members can learn from their out-of-office workers. So if you've got distributed team members, then ask them um, what's the best way to do some of these things, like setting aside time, creating the right environment, um, using techniques like the Pomodoro technique.
1: Yeah, indeed, Gihan, and the other thing that you alluded to earlier is there's a bit more friction in collaborating with your out-of-office workers. We talk a lot about removing that friction, but things like being in different time zones and being remote means that when it comes to deciding whether to have a meeting with an out-of-office worker, you're given pause for thought by the very fact that they're remote from you. And that is why, one of the reasons why working out of office is more productive, because people impinge on you less to collaborate, because there is that friction in place. And, and so that collaborate less that we talked about um, previously uh, comes into play. So the other, another thing that you can do is you can sort of buffer your collaboration requests. So if you think of uh, a sports team, often they'll have a utility player and they can fill a variety of roles. And in the same way, you can structure your teams such that you do have people who can pick up um, collaboration requests. When, say, the, the key expert is busy, they don't have time, or or whatever, they're busy on another task. Then you can have these utility players in your team who can pick up and deal with those things. So the bottlenecks are removed as a consequence of that. Or another th- approach that you can take is to ensure that collaboration tasks aren't the remit of an individual. That rather you have multiple people in your team who can pick up any of the collaboration tasks. And again, the uh, the bottlenecks are removed and and work moves forward yeah and i think some
0: of this is going to be
1: addressed or resolved by ai by artificial
0: intelligence because you'll have smart bots that can do things like schedule meetings uh, pass on requests to the people who actually need them and maybe even make decisions or you know uh, like you can imagine a bot that would draft an email response and send it saying, hey, do you want me to send this as a reply? Um, so, but until we get to that point, then we need to make those decisions ourselves.
1: Yeah, indeed. They could well become um, uh, part of our arsenal of improved collaboration tools, mm-hmm. gear.
0: Yeah, and actually that leads to the next point, Chris, which is all about um, teaching your team members about productivity because uh, most people have got technical skills that they learn through university or through experience, but very few of them um, are, have ever learned anything about productivity. They might have been to a time management course once many years ago, but it doesn't mean that they actually understand how to be productive in the worst, in the workplace, and there's so many things, so many simple things that you could do to help reduce waste of time and uh, specifically around collaboration, you know, ask yourself that so one of the simplest things um, that I think Brian Tracy talks about this, um, he says, stick a little post-it note on your um, on your keyboard or in your partition wall and say, um, the, the question you should be asking yourself is, is this the best use of my time right now? And uh, if you're involved in an email chat or you're involved even in a meeting and you, you test yourself, is this the best use of my time right now? And if it's not, think about a better use First of all, think about a better use of your time. And secondly, think about a better use or better way to achieve the result that this collaboration is trying to achieve we've also talked about in the past the the difference between immediate and deferred channels, so immediate is where the people collaborating have to be there at the same time, like a phone call or a meeting, and deferred is where collaboration occurs, but the people don't have to be there at the same time, like email is deferred Um, online forum where people post and they wait for responses later is deferred and some people, for some collaboration you need immediate and for some you don't Um, and you have to make the right choice, so sometimes immediate is right, sometimes deferred is right um, and you make the right choice So, for example I've got a, a supplier at the moment um my mortgage broker, he likes using the phone. But for me, I find that an annoying in interruption from any supplier um, and at certain times of the day. So I'd much rather that he sends me a request by email or if he really needs to speak to me by phone and it's not urgent, which it almost never is, then he books a time. Then I've got a calendar booking system where you can book a time and um, we can schedule that time. But sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes calling a meeting is absolutely the best way of doing it rather than sending around a whole bunch of emails and back and forth email threads, um, call a meeting and get the decision made straight away. So yeah, look, there are a lot of tools that you can use and a lot of tools that you can teach your team to use so that they become more productive. Um, One other is just give people the permission to say no to things. They don't have to say yes to every request, even requests from more senior people and give them permission uh, to again evaluate that against their list of priorities and uh, if they need to say no, either say no or defer to you as their leader and manager so you can say no on their behalf and the last thing around this area of um, teaching your and encouraging your team members is just reward people for better collaboration Um, a lot of rewards and uh, kpis and other metrics within teams are based on individual performance and uh, that's good individual effort should be recognized and rewarded but also um reward the people who are good collaborators, who are effective collaborators, um, and who are better collaborators. So uh, there are the people in Australian rules football, there's a, there's, a, there's a rule called shepherding, which doesn't appear in many other sports, where the person with the ball is running with the ball, and you have the, um, you have the right to go and block your opponent from attacking that person. Um, it's not common in most other sports. In most other sports, that's illegal. But um, I reckon being a shepherd, like, is absolutely a very valuable skill. And if you've got people who can shepherd the people who are uh, getting stuff done, or you've got people who assist the goal scorers, then, and they're doing it effectively, then they should be rewarded as well, recognized and rewarded.
1: Excellent. All right. So the the last section that we'll talk about gihan is collaborating more. So it might seem counterintuitive that if you're suffering from collaborative overload, one way of dealing with it is to do even more collaboration. But sometimes more collaboration can be better if you're collaborating with the right people. Now we often think of collaboration as something as an internal process. So you collaborate with in a team or within an organisation. But you can selectively collaborate with external people and involve them in your business decisions and in in so doing improve your productivity and performance. So one group of external people that you can collaborate with are your clients and customers. You can involve them in your business decisions. So a good example of this is Auckland City Council who use a website called streetmix.net and that allows citizens to be involved in the streetscape design process. So if you go there, you can adjust things like boundaries and widths of pavements and that sort of thing. And then those design, those design suggestions are folded into their streetscape design. Yeah. <laughs> Another example is my ISP, who will remain nameless, so they have a tech support forum and whilst their technical support employees do uh, participate, the overwhelming number of contributions actually come from ISP customers, so people can ask questions and then others proffer solutions to those problems and um, largely it's other customers who are giving, uh, providing those answers and solutions and many uh, organisations that require tech support have these online forums where customers are involved and another example is threadless.com so they're a print design company and their customers they involve their customers in voting on their favorite designs and those uh, that are most favorited are the ones that are likely to become actual products that threadless um, sells
0: yeah, I really like the the examples that you shared here, Chris, and the principle behind them, which is actually saying, opening up your business or opening up your team to the outside world. Because what happens often is businesses or teams that get very busy, they do the exact opposite. They say, okay, let's close off, let's shut out everyone else, and let's get our house in order first, or let's get our project done, where sometimes... Working with customers actually makes your work better because you're then solving the right sort of problems, whereas shutting everyone else out um, means that you might be more productive, but you might be more productive heading in the wrong direction and creating the wrong products and services. So absolutely involving your customers and collaborating with them um, is worthwhile because you actually get real customer feedback
1: that's right you're absolutely right and I think you're going to touch on this when you collaborate more broadly with the rest of the world not just your clients and customers
0: that's right so collaborating with customers is actually if you think about it you're collaborating with the the end of the process chain with the people who are going to buy your products and services but you can also collaborate with people who are going to be your suppliers so your suppliers uh, the people who do the work don't only have to be within your team and there are so many more options now than just finding the traditional supplier um, and creating a relationship with them for you to collaborate with the rest of the world, for example, there are crowdfunding services. You know, you've got an idea, you publish it on a website somewhere, and you ask people to um, to contribute and um, the project gets enough. Enough funds, then the project goes ahead, and if it doesn't,
1: then nobody pays any money. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. So it's a clever way of raising finance through non traditional, um, through through the crowd, non traditional sources, but more importantly, it tells you whether you've got a market for that product. That's the, the key, I think. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. And then the next one is crowdsourcing, where you've got a problem that you want solved, so you, um, Instead of just asking your team to do it, you extend your team by putting the problem out into the world and then you ask people to solve it and you offer a prize to the best. this has been used in a number of different ways Um, I use it myself when I'm I'm getting design work done I did it recently I'm getting my business cards redesigned and I'm using a service called Fiverr which is not a crowdsourcing site it's an outsourcing site where people will do projects for you for $5 $5 US Um, but because it's only $5 I decided to crowdsource it so I found three people who do business card designs and I gave them all all three of them the project I paid them all the princely sum of $5 and then I chose the best design or the one that I preferred. And they're all good designs, um, but I was happy to, um, I was happy to splurge and pay $15 to get a business card designed uh, rather than just a five. And so in effect, I was doing crowdsourcing um, through an outsourcing service. And, the, and outsourcing is another um, increasingly popular way of getting work done. Um, so there are outsourcing services also called talent markets where people who've got specialized skills um, can do work in those skills. You're not only doing it because it's cheaper, but you're doing it because these are people who've got specialized skills in those areas and that's all they do. So why not outsource a particular task to them um, or kind of bring them into your team? So I know somebody who designs book covers and uh, for my business book in a box projects, um, I always get him to design the book covers for my clients. And now I've got him to design my uh, speaking brochure for my for my speaking business. I'm going to get him to design my newsletter. He's basically become my outsourced graphic designer and he does great work. He does work with a lot of other clients. So I get the value of that expertise as well. And um, and I don't have to have that uh, as, an in, as an in-house piece of expertise. Um within my team. I can, you know, the, the other people on my team um, can do other work that they're more specialised in. Excellent. Yeah.
1: So let's wrap things up, Gihan. So as we said at the outset, collaboration is vital to individual out-of-office workers and distributed teams and organisations as a whole, but you can uh, end up being overloaded. So take a look at the way that you collaborate. Maybe you are suffering some from some collaborative overload. And in that case, maybe some of the things that we've spoken about today can help you out, deal with that and make you collaborate better. Would you like to add anything Oh
0: No. Look, I think you've pretty well summarised it. If I was to give one piece of advice, it's uh, something that we mentioned earlier, and that is don't make collaboration your default choice for decision making. Absolutely, collaboration is worthwhile, and it's something that we we both believe in very strongly. But before you decide to bring somebody else into something, just think about: um, can I make the decision myself, or encourage your team members to think that way? And if they can't, um, even then, collaboration. I mean, collaboration may be necessary at that point. But after that, collaboration happens. Look back and say, okay, what do we need to do next time so that that person can make an independent decision? Um, it isn't always it isn't always possible, and it isn't always appropriate. But by doing that you're building up your team and you're future-proofing your team because so they, they become people who have great judgment and great collaborators.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks, Gihan. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And this will be our final podcast for 2016. We'll be back in 2017 with more great stuff to talk about. So until then, Merry Christmas to you, Gihan, your family, and to all of our listeners. Yeah, thanks. And the same from me as well, Chris. Okay. Bye for now. Bye.
0: Bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the word
1: style of your choice.